0: known fact about my guest today. He wears so many hats because he's so brilliantly talented in so many areas. It is very hard to create a very streamlined bio, but I'm going to do my best. So today my guest is Wayne Brady. I spoke to him from my apartment in Brooklyn. He was in his house in LA. It was the first time I used the Zencaster app to try to do this. So bear with me. It may not be the most pristine recording you've ever heard, but lean in because everything Wayne Brady said moved me deeply. He is so smart. He's so funny. He's so generous and his story is so unique and where he has come from and where he has gone and continues to go just inspires me. So I'll lead with that. He played Aaron Burr in the Chicago production of Hamilton. He starred as Lola in Kinky Boots on Broadway and Billy Flynn in Chicago on Broadway. I'm going to share with you that I think I first noticed him or he came onto my personal radar when I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? I'm in awe of really good improvisers and when I say really good I mean the king of improvisers and that is Wayne Brady. His voice is singularly beautiful and the way he sings is so special because he tells a story with a song in a way that very few can do. His new his new single "Flirting with Forever" has just dropped, and what is so fun is if you watch the video, his incredible daughter Miley is in it with him, and that's really fun to get to see of them to to see the two of them performing together. His classic sketch in the Chappelle Show, I think he did it in two thousand and four, remains one of the most watched clips from that comedy show. It's a spoof on Training Day. And he was also on The Bold and the Beautiful. He was uh, on a USA Network series called Colony and a show called Aftermath. We fell in love with him all over again when he did a season of How I Met Your Mother. He's also been on Key and Peele, Everybody Hates Chris. He has a really scary villainous role on Black Lightning, the CW show. I loved watching him do that. He's just very multifaceted as an actor. He's lent his voice to The Loud House and Sophia the First, Phineas and Ferb, and a lot of animated shows and cartoons that I listened and watched with my kids. What I really want to say before I just stop talking about him so that you can hear from him is that he's someone I've admired for a really long time, not just because he is uh, a performer, Unlike anyone else on the planet right now with all the things that he can do, it's really remarkable, but he puts his talent and his celebrity, which he would be embarrassed for me to say, but it's true, and attaches it and himself to so many incredible causes with such generosity and heart, um, from mental health to kids who stutter, The list goes on and on of just ways in which he has lent support and changed lives because of it. So I'm going to stop talking about him so you can hear him. Wayne Brady, thank you, thank you, thank you. A-OK! I just wanted to tell you that before you came on, I recorded uh, an intro just talking about all of the incredible things that you've done. And I want to ask you if I call you an actor, singer, host, improvisationalist, humanitarian, if I've missed anything uh, in terms of how you think of yourself.
1: Well, that is, first off, very, very s- sweet and kind. Um, uh, yeah, I think I am. I'm, I'm an actor, singer, uh, improvisationalist, writer, producer, director. Um, but before all of those things, I'm a father. And uh, and so I think you pretty much nailed it.
0: Well, I I'm so glad you brought up father because now more than ever, we are in a moment in time, this podcast episode will live for all eternity, but we are in the moment in our lives, we are we are self-isolating or quarantining or trying to stay home as much as possible. Um, and I have a teenager, and I know you have a teenager, and I'm wondering, how are you handling this time together? What are you finding? If this were a parenting podcast, what are some tips you can share about managing all of this together time?
1: I think the important thing about the together time is is it doesn't have to be on top of each other time. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's part of, part of the biggest thing about being a teenager and, and having a normal schedule of school and socially um, and, and being able to socially interact with your peers and, and your friends. But now you're stuck in the house with your parents is we all don't need to be on top of each other 24 seven. She can be in her room, She can be outside in the yard. Um, We can do things together, but it doesn't have to turn into let's spend every second. And I think that's what a lot of parents are foisting on their kids because we sometimes, I know I have and I do occasionally, still work out of a sense of guilt of because we work so much and we work so hard. Now that we're finally here, this is our time to cram all of this time that we've missed into This And that's a little unfair because we don't have, it's, it's, it's weird to just say, now you have to deal with me every (laughs) minute of the day. So, so balance, that's what we've been working on as, as a family, giving each other space and we're quarantining between my house and her mother's house and we live 6 minutes away from each other so so we so we're lucky that we have a little little core four as we say it's Mandy and her, her boyfriend Jason and myself and my daughter Miley so Miley spends her time between both households and we all have din- din- dinner together so mm-hmm. so she has space so right. I, I had to learn on giving her space she she did not want to be bear hugged by dad 20 minutes Of every hour so I had to learn that
0: well I appreciate that she's in your video Um, your daughter is so talented I will not be surprised if in a few years from now or even sooner she will be on this podcast talking about all of the amazing work that she's been doing as an artist I've been thinking a lot about people who are in the entertainment business who have clearly Brilliantly talented kids. And I can say that, you know, objectively about your daughter as a singer and a dancer, and just watching her perform with you, watching her in the kind of few bits of intimacy that you share on your Instagram about your private life. She is such a light. And the two of you, whether you're singing together on the way to school. I know we put on Instagram, sometimes we curate it and we're not showing the battles we have with our kids on Instagram, but it is undeniable the incredible love and respect and friendship that the two of you share. It is so inspiring to see. Did you have any hesitation? And then we'll talk about your own childhood and maybe where the performing arts came into your life. Um, because from the little I know, I don't think you grew up, you know, in the same kind of entertainment environment that your daughter is. Did you have any hesitation about including her in the work in, in a public way?
1: Um, absolutely not. Um I'm not one of these parents that we don't share our lives gratuitously. Um and we don't necessarily curate it either. Because we, we don't show every bad thing nor do we show every good thing. I think we show show good things that are happening in the moment because I like to use social media as a way to bring light. Um, mm-hmm. not as a way to be salacious or a way to to be shocking or I, I think it's good to just use it as a as a pick me up for people. So so I love to show little Nice spurts of fam family time because I think that's uplifting to some people. So when I wanted to show Miley um, whether we are working together or or whether we're just hanging out, I, I don't mind showing her to the people that follow me because they know what I'm about. Right, um, and it, it's just the same way that I never hesitated letting her pursue a a a uh, a life. In theater or on tv or in music if that's what she wants because the arts and music and it's it was life-changing for me and when people say really you're gonna let your daughter go into show business i mean it's so full of those people well i'm one of those people and and the fact of the matter is show business is not inherently evil you don't sign some pact with 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 the devil when when you decide to perform you at its heart you are exploring and expressing a god-given talent it's the business part that can be shady and it's the business of it and and so it's the business of any business you you show me you know re- real estate lawyers and lawyers and corp- corporate folks that have you know all those shenanigans go- going on and and they they don't have have all the fun that we we do in the arts. So I I think that my daughter wanting to go into the arts and share that part of her life, as long as she goes into it realistically, mm-hmm. that that makes me happy. That that was my dream, my very selfish dream when when she was being born. I said, oh God, it'd be amazing if if she wants to grow up and we can sing together and we can be on stage together and I can have 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 my little theater buddy. Well,
0: my God, do you? I mean, your harmonies together, I mean, the blending of your voices, it's really beautiful. So thank you as um, a receiver of the work and the art. Thank you, my friend. Um, I want to go back to something you said, uh, because we talked about what the arts meant to you as a kid. So can you share, where did you grow up, first of all?
1: I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Um, in, a, in a little uh, neighborhood called Tangelo Park. Um, and uh, I, I was raised by my grandmother, Valerie, and uh, she, God bless her, she's still alive. And, and I just talked to her this morning. She is the reason, I will say she truly is the reason why I'm, I'm here today in terms of being a father and being someone who knock on wood, I've never been, been to jail or in trouble. And I followed my, my dreams because she instilled a very, very strong work ethic in me and kept me on the straight and narrow.
0: When did you realize, I mean, you know, when I listed all these things that you can do, I, I, there are very few people on the planet who are capable of being as, um, talented in so many areas that you are, but your voice is singular and beautiful. And there had to be uh, a moment where you might've realized that not just do you love singing, people love listening to you sing. Um, Can you kind of take me through a little bit when the discovery and how performing came into your life in a, in a very specific way?
1: I knew I knew that I wanted to perform, or rather, I've known that I've wanted to perform since I could form the thought. Mm -hmm. So as soon as, so so I don't know what age that was, five, six. As soon as I knew that, hey, I want to do what those people on TV are doing and the people that I, I looked up to when i was a kid and and this is dating myself but i like to date myself because i'm proud of every year i'm i turned 48 this year so um so so when i grew up i watched a lot of pbs um so my mom uh, i watched a lot of the old rat pack specials i watched old sketch shows in black and white like sid caesar's show ernie kovacs the show of shows um uh, uh, the uh, uh, Nat, Nat King Cole show, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Carol Burnett, um, Flip Wilson, learning, learning the craft of theater, because a lot of the performers at that time were all theater people, and I really didn't know it, but learning the art of theater and TV and comedy and music all at once becoming a student of it then knowing that i wanted to be like them but i didn't know how because for a kid growing up in in a neighborhood like mine and and i was raised in an area that that would be called called the hood growing up in my neighborhood i didn't know how one gets out you may as well have been on the moon so those were dreams that I had and I kept to myself all my all my childhood because I didn't want to get laughed at because I had a big enough struggle growing up in my neighborhood because I was fighting constantly, practically every other day because I felt like I was always getting picked on and always had to defend myself, whether it was because my grandmother and my family spoke differently because we're from the Virgin Islands and... Um, or whether it's because she dressed me funny, like they say. But my mama always tried to make sure that 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 I was clean, and uh, and and she dressed me like Little Lord Faunt, Fauntleroy sometimes. Right. But but she always had had me crispy clean, um, right. or defending the way that I talked because I was being busted to this school across town for, for the gifted program. So I wasn't Black enough for some of the kids in my neighborhood, and I was too Black for for the kids at the other school. So I was always fighting. That's something that I always felt like, that I was always up against something. So So that being said, I kept a lot of who I was to myself, and that included singing. I could sing from as early as I remember, but no one knew, not even my mom, because I kept that to myself. Um, And I could do character voices and imitate people and I would put on shows for myself, but no one knew because I just kept it to me. And it was that way pretty much up until my junior year in high school when I was, um, when through just weird after school special like coincidence, uh, a friend of mine who I was in ROTC with dropped out of the school play and said, hey, they need someone to take over this part. There's only one line. And um, I, I jumping at the chance inwardly, but wanting to still appear cool outside, because by now I'd been in ROTC, the Reserve Officer Training Corps, for, for a couple years. And I, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I'll do it, <laughs> because it'll be funny. You know, I'll go and hang out with those nerds and make their play look stupid, right guys? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I get it.
1: Well, when I walked into that theater, I'll never forget it. It really was like an episode of fame come to life. I walked in and I'm in my dress blues. Um, I was, uh, And I was met by these kids just dancing, people playing on the piano. And there was this lady, this uh, big drama teacher in the corner yelling at some kid about, no, that's not where the flat goes. This is where you, what's your name? I said, uh, "Hi, ma'am. I'm I'm Wayne Brady, ma'am. I'm here to to replace Keith. I'm going to be in the show. Oh, well, what are you doing in that thing?" And uh, and I got out of my my uniform, and and I knew I was home. And from the second I walked into that theater class, I never walked out. And that 16 year old Wayne started acting immediately, and it was the most um, amazing pivotal moment in my life and development. And I'm still friends with my drama teacher, Karen Ruggiero. And I bring her out to any Broadway show that I open or the beginning of any of my TV shows. Wayne, that
0: is so incredible. So, how do you go from Orlando and your, and your neighborhood that you described? Um, how, do you, how do you change lanes? And do you go to LA for, like, how do you begin to pursue this or even think of this professionally? Did you go to college for performing arts?
1: No, I didn't. Um, I started to, and I would not. Ad- I would not advise my route to anyone because I can't say I had some master plan. I have friends who are amazingly talented, and they had a plan in high school. And we've talked, and I've got friends who all went to Juilliard or Northwestern, and and we all end up the same place, but we have different routes. Um, sure. So, so I. I was like a, uh, what's the word? I was such a religious, in in the sense, a religious zealot con, convert. As mm-hmm. soon as I started acting, my whole life, I everything I read, everything I ate, I slept, I talked about, it was all theater, all the time, 24-7. So that being said, my grades, I could have cared less. All I knew was... I was going to go into theater, and I was going to work. So I was a really good student up until till the middle of my junior year, and then it all went to hell um, because I wasn't thinking about trying to go to college. I just wanted to go to Broadway. Right. So, so I think what ended up happening was uh, my senior year, I got a couple scholarships and a couple uh, opportunities to audition for various schools. Um, um, I, I I got a letter. Or or Miss Rogério actually really helped me. She was getting me an audition for uh for the Yale School of Drama. They saw a tape and they were interested in seeing me and a couple other really great schools. But I could not imagine, and that's why I never want to be a hypocrite and and force my daughter to go to school because I could not be back in a classroom again just just because of the person I am and my uh, and 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 me having to be up on my feet. I knew that I needed to be working and learning that, that way. That's not necessarily the best way. There are so many amazing programs that now, even as an adult, I go, you know what, maybe I should try to audition to get into one of these, um, uh, schools so that I can just, just experience that because there are Uh, such, such amazing teachers. Right. But I did it my own way and I started working immediately. Actually, after that first play, I got a job uh, in in uh, Raisin in the Sun. It was a non, non-equity non production, but the, but they were paying. <clears throat> and so that was my first real paid paycheck for doing theater. And then I worked at Walt Disney World as a character because okay. I wanted to be a singer-dancer. So you have to audition for the character department first. And I worked there a couple of years. Worked at Universal Studios doing all the the, uh, stage shows there. Worked at the Mark II Dinner Theater. Did Richie and Chorus Line. um, Did tons of of industrial song and dance gigs. Worked as a singer-dancer on cruise ships. And my plan then was to go to New York to audition for AMDA. Didn't do it because then I ended up getting side, sidetracked. I got married when I was 21 uh-huh. and we moved to Las Vegas because she wanted to dance in the Follies Berger. That was her dream. So I said, well, I guess Vegas is close to L.A. I'll try to make, make the move to L.A. So I worked as a singer dancer at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, did a bunch of cruise ships, went to Hawaii, um, did a musical review uh, and then moved to Los Angeles. And along the way, there was a group that I was with called SAC Theater in Orlando. They were the guys that taught me improvisation and sketch. I and wanted was, to
0: ask about sort of where that began for you.
1: Yeah, the, that's the company. Those are the guys, uh, SAC Theater, and they're still, still around in Orlando right now. Um, and we used to do this thing called Theater Sports, if there are any fans of uh, competitive improv. Um, so seven of us that formed the original SAC Theater Group. When I moved to LA full time, we formed a group called the Houseful of Honkies. and our aim was to be like Second City. Oh! oh no, I'm so sorry. All oh, of my are going now. Um, but but this is real life. Hey 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 hey. So um so so we moved to uh, to to Los Angeles together, and we we were going to be Second City. So I was out here auditioning. Okay,
0: so all those guys from Florida came to and met you in L.A.?
1: Yes. So, okay. the, so the seven of us band, banded together. And of, of the seven, um, some of your listeners may know, like John, Jonathan Mangum, who is my co-host on Let's Make a Deal. Jonathan yes. was one of the seven, and he's been with me for years on Let's Make a Deal, and we've done Whose Line Is It Anyway, and another British improv show, and he was my... Uh, he was on my Wayne Brady sketch show on ABC. So that's one of my closest friends. And Claire Sarah is a renowned um, screenwriter right now. Another guy named Joel McCrary is is a creator for uh, Disney and uh, has a TV show on BYU TV. So our little class ha- has has done pretty well for ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and we all moved out to LA together. And that's where, where the hustle really began. So I say all of that. To say it's such a circuitous route that I picked up all of those skills that we talked about in the beginning. It was through no master plan. In the beginning, all I wanted to do was be on stage, and I thought if if my biggest dream was I, I could be a singer on a cruise ship, and maybe maybe if I'm really lucky, I could get to Broadway and be in the ensemble of a show. Um, That was my biggest dream when I graduated high school because I went to state competition and and ranked first. And I remember seeing Terrence Mann um, uh, and I wanted to be on stage. So after watching him and taking this workshop, I thought, if I can just do that, I'll be good. Life would be great. So every other thing that I've learned, whether it's improv or hosting, it's all just been via survival. and. And it's been a circuitous route. So I could never give somebody directions because my map was crazy.
0: I know, but if you think back to that kid, you know, a few minutes ago while I was waiting to connect with you, I was emailing with Jerry Mitchell and he was. I love Jerry. Well, no one, if you're in, if you're looking for a publicist, it should just be Jerry Mitchell. There is no, and you know how effusive he can be and how genuine he is. And when he's excited about, I mean, full out, right? (laughs) Full out,
1: baby. (laughs) Hashtag full out.
0: Guys, so most of my listeners are, are true Broadway fans. So they know that we're bringing up Jerry Mitchell because he is the director of Kinky Boots, which Wayne Brady played the lead role in. He played Lola. Along with Billy Flynn in Chicago, and uh, and then Karen Oliva was on the show, and we talked about the Hamilton Chicago tour. Um, She had a similar thing. It was this drama teacher in her youth that really helped um, change her path. God bless that drama teacher. uh, That and Karen on the planet exactly. But I think it like and then love you know freestyle love supreme. Like of course you would end up doing that. Like it's incredible to think about how all of these seeds get planted and with the kind of perseverance and willfulness and self-education and passion and hunger to consume everything about the thing you love sprinkled in with, I guess, a little bit of luck along the way, right? Like there has to be this meeting of an opportunity and a readiness for the opportunity. And I think about like whose line is it anyway? Like if there ever was a show that would highlight, that's how, when I think like, how do I know who Wayne Brady is? I think that was like my gateway drug into your talent. You've done a million movies and television shows and I have kids. And so your voice has been a part of animated stuff that we would love to hear. (laughs) So, and I have a mom. So we love Let's Make a Deal. Like all the things that I love and all the people I love have a way that they, uh, found you. And and the joy that you bring every generation is sort of astonishing. But the the moment where I saw your heart come out of your body and expose itself was when I was at the Say Gala a year ago. It's an organization oh. that honors kids who stutter. And yeah. it provides camps and after school and just a whole magical world where Everybody stutters. You're on the outside if you don't stutter when you're a part of this organization. And you showed up because we were honoring Tommy Kale. And you sang that night. And you also were really honest about having had a relationship with stuttering yourself um, as a kid. And I just saw the way you were so present for every child, everyone there that night. I just... You just moved us all to tears, and then you—we were all standing and screaming for you. But that will go down in, in evenings where I got to see a live performance touch me so deeply. That was an incredible night, Wayne.
1: Oh, I—I I was so honored to be part of that evening for two reasons. Well, one because you know Tommy, Thomas as as he's known professionally now, but uh, Tommy um, has given me so much love throughout the years. And I have been you first meet? We for gosh. I want to say oh, we first met when he was and this was before Lynn was Lynn Lynn right. and Tommy was Tommy Tommy. They'd had success with In the Heights, but but you know, that that was one one show and a lot of America didn't know about it and so they were trying their hand at TV and they did a Freestyle Love Supreme sitcom. where, where, where I played Lynn's boss and Tommy directed it. And we got a chance to work together in Atlanta and we had a blast. And then, then Tommy and I started hanging out when he'd come to LA to, to shadow, um, the director of two broke girls on CBS because he wanted to move it to TV. And so we got to know each other really well then and talk about our dreams and everything that we wanted to do. And the person that I met is still the person that, now sits atop a, a theatrical and TV dynasty, he, yeah. he, he, and Lynn, in terms of their souls. So it's inspiring to me to see people grow like that and achieve the things that they want to achieve. And my and I love that. I love when good people get where they want to go and then they turn around and help other people. So the fact that I could be there to speak about Tommy, that that was a home run. And then two to to talk about my own childhood and my relationship with stuttering, I'd, I'd never realized how much shame I had wrapped up in that issue. because I like to consider myself a very transparent actor and performer, which is why I think people like what they see see when I'm doing something. And I realized that I hadn't been been true truly, transparent with myself because I, I didn't want to speak because when someone says, Oh yeah, we want you to come to the, to a stutterers, um, uh, expo and talk to these kids. I go, Oh, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, why should I come out and speak about stuttering? I really don't stutter. I don't stutter. It's fine. I don't. And I, I didn't realize that I had that much energy behind it until I had to really think about it. And that's what I expressed that night. I I had to come clean with how I felt and that shame. And I'm glad that I love Tommy so much. And that's why that would make me come and speak. Because then when I witnessed the sheer bravery of these young people getting over this this thing, and in some cases, a near debilitating stutter. I think the reason that I I always had shame about it is because I, I was always taught that the way you communicate is the way that you're judged. So if I am not speaking well and you're judging me on how I'm talking and you think that I'm that I'm slow or you are going to laugh at me because I'm stuttering, I have a big thing about being laughed at, which is a holdover from, from my childhood, which is, like I was saying earlier, how I kept everything to myself because I didn't want to be laughed at which is very funny for someone who makes a living making someone laugh. I'm, I'm one of the most sensitive people. I immediately like, Hey, Hey, don't laugh at me. But (laughs) that all comes from that whole place. And that was one of the things that when I was a kid and I would get worked up, I would stutter. And I even went to a, um, for a couple months in elementary school, I went to a speech therapist because my stutter was so hard at one time, like a hard stutter, where I would try to get out certain words like oh, "oh, oh, oh," and I couldn't breathe. And it was through the speech therapy that I realized, and that I was told that it's because of anxiety, and I have to just just breathe and and don't get caught up and 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 use all my tools. So that so that was a huge night to be able to share that because I don't really talk about that a lot. And, and and that gave me the courage to to speak out to more people about stuttering and being able to to say, hey, it's okay. It's not a bad thing or it's nothing to be ashamed of. And those children yeah. really really inspired me.
0: Well, I felt really privileged to be there that night because I felt everything you just said. And I think what's been, you know it it is, No secret that so many comedians are actually very shy in person. Um, You know, we hear and and learn about that time and time again. Um, You know, people who knew Robin Williams well would would talk about sort of who he was publicly and who he was privately. He was, you know, someone I admired so much. And I think uh, this is such a strange segue, but I think the world was so shocked when we lost him. Because mm-hmm. the persona that we knew was the most charming, energetic lover of life. And I think that was an example of so many of us learning about uh, depression and mental health issues are not a choice. I mean, sometimes, you know, unless you've experienced it yourself, you really don't understand that. Um, that it's not something anyone has control over. And then in sort of reading stuff about you and wanting to get to know you more for today, I was amazed to see how public and generous you've also been to build on the stuttering thing with your own, you know, uh, bouts of depression and your own, um, Desire to put your face and energy into helping people become comfortable talking about mental health issues. It's just been incredible to me all the ways you have used this platform that you built uh, with so much integrity and care. Um, The way you are giving back, the way you put your energy into Broadway Care, you know, whatever community you're in, you just give to it so generously. And I'm just really in awe of how much you bring yourself to so many incredible organizations and issues. It's a really beautiful thing. And um, as a citizen of the world, I thank you. Um, I want to, this is not to embarrass you, but I just really wanted to say thank you. Mm -hmm. And this whole podcast was just a way to get to say that to you directly. Um, The other thing I found that I just want to bring up, because anyone listening when we're done of course, you're going to start following Wayne, all the places he shares parts of his life. But there was this thing that I got to see. Um, the actress Glenn Close created, I guess she oh. created this evening or curated this evening because John Cameron Mitchell is also a friend of mine. I know a bunch of people who have- John Cameron Mitchell,
1: it. can can we just say yes. that, that he is one of my biggest the- theater crushes? Well- so, so to be able to work work with him, and I'd met him a couple times when he came to uh, to Kinky Boots to see Jake right. uh, Shears, yeah. Um, and then to be able to hug him and go, "Thank you for everything that you've done on stage." That that was it was great to spend spend the weekend with him.
0: It was yeah. Awesome. Well, he's just a. a- a unicorn per Like he's just such a uniquely gifted person. I've known John for so long. I remember being in a cafe with him a million years ago and he was scribbling <laughs> notes on a pad. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, I have this idea maybe for like a, a one person show about this German and, you know, and we're off and there we go. So, um, <laughs> That's
1: awesome.
0: I know he's just an angel person, but you, you wrote a piece called a poem by the angriest Black man in America for this evening. Yes. It's called Transformations, I think is what it, is that what it was called? Transformations?
1: Yes, Transformations. I think transformation. that
0: might be what the evening was called. Um, accompanied by this unbelievably gorgeous orchestra. So I have one question. Well, I have a million questions for you. Was that rehearsed or was the music improvised while you were speaking? Or was that piece created to accompany your poem?
1: Oh, it was a little bit of everything, okay. when 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 Miss Glenn asked me to be a part of that evening with uh, herself and Ted, um, which Ted Nash, Ted Nash, what an right. amazing musician! In fact, I believe that they're going to be uh, releasing a recording of that evening as, as a record. Which uh, wow,
0: that's well um, incredible.
1: Uh, when she asked me to do it, she said that it was about transformation.
0: Did you and, know her before, or was this like a random connection?
1: Oh no, I've known known, known Miss Glenn a few years now. I was lucky okay. enough that when I first did my when I did my first run of um of Kinky Boots right after Billy left and, yeah. and I replaced him, um, she reached out to me because she had seen me talk about depression and the reason. That I spoke out was because, like you and millions and millions of other people, I was a Robin Williams fan, and I had been lucky enough to work with Robin a couple times. And um, when his when he passed, that shook my foundations because I thought to myself. If this disease, and yes, it is a disease for 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 you listeners listening, that some of you may not be truly informed and you can uh, shrug off someone saying, oh, I feel de- depressed as a, oh, you're just sad. Everybody's depressed. Listen to me carefully when I tell you it is a disease, a clinical disease of the mind and the heart and the spirit. Um, if 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 this malevolent disease could take out one of the world's brightest lights, Robin Williams and make him feel that he was so alone that he had nowhere to turn to and his life had to end. if if it can make that person feel that, then what would it do to me? and I'm not Robin Williams and I don't feel that I had Robin's Robin's reservoir of light. I had to take a gut check. And go okay. You need to talk about this now because you need help, and you need to help other people um, by speaking out and getting rid of the stigma because that's what kills people. When you feel you can't talk about it, and it eats you. So when I spoke out, I joined her her program called Bring Change to Mind, and she and Whoopi Goldberg were throwing an evening, and they asked me to host it because they were going to honor um, Billy Crystal and um, uh, no, no. Well, they're honoring Whoopi first, and then throughout the subsequent uh, next next evenings, they honored Billy and um, and uh, Robin po- po- posthumously and his family. So I've I've been with her and in her organization for a couple of years. I so she see. told, me, yeah. So so we we have that that connection, and it's friggin' Glenn Close. Just or, by the way, course. just by the right. way. Yeah, It's freaking Glenn Close. So when yeah. she said, oh, hi, hi Wayne Brady, um, I want to come and, come and have you work with me. Uh, yes. Um, so she asked me to be a part of this evening and to read a piece piece with her. Oh, my God, I get to be on stage with, with Glenn Close. Okay, great. And then she said, well, let's read a couple pieces together. I said, okay, that's great. And then she said, you know, it's about transformation and about forgiveness. Do you know any other pieces? And I said, well, I have a piece that I've been working on for this one-man show that I'm trying to eventually to bring to uh, Broadway a la the John Leguizamo route Mm -hmm. called Young, Gifted, and Whack about me growing up in my childhood. And I've got a piece that I wrote about a girl that said something to me that has lived with me my entire life. And so I sent it to her and I said, look, if you don't like it for the show, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. I got a response a couple minutes later and then she called me and said, "You you have to do this." And she was in tears and said, "This this piece you have to do." And and uh, and we put put it together. Um, Ted uh, came up with music for it, and then once I got in the rehearsal studio with them, I was able to massage some some of it. And then once we got on stage, we said, "Look, instead of it being so regimented, why don't you guys just play what?" you're moved to especially now that i see what this young man the the dancer and i feel so horrible that i cannot remember his name off the top of my head i was just texting with him just a couple days ago because he called to wish wish my fam family the best i want to punch myself for for not knowing his name um what one of the most amazing dancers i've ever seen um so we did so we came up with it as a collaborative piece and it. it was amazing it it's uh it truly is great
0: well you can see it on your instagram i'm sure it's on youtube but the idea that she's kind of creating a like a spoken word album of the evening um for for the masses to hear i i was just in my office sobbing, watching it last night. The, the story, it's, I mean, first of all, you're just a gorgeous writer. I mean, just from a pure literary sense, um, it's just so elegant and perfect. And the way you share it, it's so brutally honest and and you just open yourself up to the listener with such generosity. And we're all there with you. And and what an incredible thing! And I, I hope that you can do it. Is this, is this show kind of coming together? I mean, Wayne, I guess I want to ask you. You have a hundred things going on at any given time. I don't need, like you have this amazing game show for kids. Sort of, is it comedy IQ? Like how to become a comic that you're spearheading. Um, not to mention you won the mass Singer like all the time that must have gone into that. That would be a lifetime for most people. Your day job, how, but I I say all that and yet I believe I'm going to see your show Young, Gifted and Whack on Broadway because you're you. Is there movement? Now everything's shut down, obviously, but eventually Broadway is going to come back and we're going to do everything we can to support all the artists and creatives who we miss desperately right now.
1: Um, Amen, and Broadway is going to come back bigger and stronger, and uh, and I can't wait to be there to be part part of that wave.
0: Yes, I hope Young, Gifted, and Whack is part of that.
1: Well, we do have some movement. Um, I have an amazing um uh theater theater agent, you know, and, and not a lot of actors will shout out their uh their agents because you know agents have a bit of a reputation. But right. there's a guy named Kevin Lynn who is not just an agent, he's 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 a friend. And the reason that he covers Broadway is because he truly loves the art form. And when I joined um the the agency that I'm with now, CAA, he was the person that I was most excited to talk to because because in my mind TV and film and all all of that stuff once once you reach a certain point and and you're blessed enough to have people know know your name that's going to take care of itself to a certain degree sure there's a lot of work and hustle that goes into it but if you're a known commodity things are going to come but theater because it's always been my love and always been my passion and always the place that I want to end up and I want to want to be at the Tony's one day. I want to host the Tony's. I want to be on stage. Um, I want to originate a role, you know, the whole nine. I was able to express that dream to Kevin and not be laughed at by some TV guy going, you want to be on stage and do, come on, man, let's go make a series. Right. And I've heard heard that for years, but Kevin was the first one to go to say, okay, let's do it. And, and um, so with the people that Kevin has introduced me to and being welcomed into the Broadway community, so many amazing producers and directors have come out to give me love. So my prediction, because I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen, I would say that you're going to see a version of this next next year. By, by the end of next year. Off Broadway, or some, you're you're going to hear about this because that's the work that I'm putting into it, um, because I want to share that story, um, especially stories like the one that you saw at uh, at Jazz at Lincoln Center, because you don't hear stories like that. People were shocked. And that's why I named it that, because I wanted people to go, why would Wayne Brady say he's the angriest black man in the world? I don't understand. And then to hear the language that I was using and and to talk about, you know, my my upbringing. Not everyone is aware that in the black community we've had colorism, that we have this problem where because of deep seated issues from hundreds of years ago from from slavery, we look at each other differently and we can discriminate against each other and we can turn on each other and we have this, this, this inherent problem. There are communities outside of ours that are not aware of that struggle and they're not aware of how it can impact a child and how it can impact um, your self-worth. And for those of you that weren't there, there, of course, I'm talking about when, when I was a kid, I was told that I was too, too black, I was too dark. And I was told this by other people that looked like me. So I grew up for a long time, I'd say until right before my 20s, feeling that I didn't want to be so black. And if you really sit in that for a second, it doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white or whatever, if you look at yourself in the mirror right now and you say, "Ugh, I don't want to look like this person, and you're talking to yourself. Think of how deep that is, the self-loathing and self-hate, just just because of your external. That's what I put up with because of what one person said to me on, on my yard, in my front yard when I was 10. Because of what one person said, I let this impact myself as a creative, as a young man, as as just a person. So it was important for me to write pieces like this. Um, and I'm going to start sharing them with, with the world. And I hope that you like them because as deep as it sounds, it's also really funny. And that's what I want to do because I want to bring, bring, bring the funny piece of it.
0: Wayne, I could talk to you all day I just you. This is like scratching the surface of someone. You know, you are an onion, my friend, and I really, really hope that I get more opportunities to spend time with you and and talk about all of these things um, and and that would all make the so things. Um, before I let you go to your dogs and your family and all the <laughs> things you have going on, and we didn't even cover Hamilton uh, in depth. Um, uh is there a little known fact about you that you can share with my listeners that we have not already discussed?
1: Huh? A little known fact, man, I think I've talked about so many things in the past. Um, uh, well, I guess little known is, um, is to the people that don't know me super well or has followed it. I'm a great big comic book, sci-fi geek. Um, and, uh, that rules a a big portion of my world. Um, I am a very, uh, and I'm a very, very private person who probably enjoys the company of, uh, of my dogs than I do of most, most humans, not to say that I don't like people. It's just that when left up to my own devices, I'm I'm more comfortable by myself, just just hanging out, and that's still 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 that leftover residue from when I was a kid. So so I think yeah, those are the two things that I'm a big 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 sci fi nerd, and and I'm the quiet kid in the corner writing.
0: I guess my follow up question to that is, do you enjoy spending time with yourself? Absolutely. Well, that. Um,
1: Is everything that absolutely
0: you know that that it is time spent in good company is everyone's goal. I mean, if you can't be alone, this is so cliche, but that's where it starts. And yes, and the road to self love and acceptance and enjoyment um, makes you such incredible good company for the rest of us who get to share some time with you. So thank you, sweet friend. Hey, I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0 Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one Uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content. Documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. Enjoy. And I hope you like it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.
1: Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.
0: Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us.
1: Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have.
0: It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North.